Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to Romans chapter 15 for uh, our time together in God's Word. Romans chapter 15. I think we could all agree right now that we live in a world and in a culture that is greatly divided. If you'd agree with that, we'd just loud and clear say amen. amen. Oh my goodness. Everywhere we turn... And just about every other conversation that we have in the context of the community, whether we're talking about politics or we're talking about the pandemic or we're talking about mass or we're talking about what's going to happen next or we're talking about the outcome of the election, there are so many things going on back and forth. But in the midst of it all, I want to remind us this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has given us clear encouragement and clear instruction about how we are to live and how we are to relate to one another. The wonderful good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of all the world and he rose again from the grave. And because of the gift of eternal life, he offers eternal life to all who will believe in him. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your past experiences. It doesn't matter the home you grew up in. It doesn't matter anything you've done or that's been done against you. The fact is God has made a way for all of us to know him and to be gloriously saved and transformed and changed through him. But when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we begin to quickly understand that knowing Christ means we now have a relationship with God. We are brought into the family of God. But a family involves more than just a relationship with God. While that's a gift and that's wonderful and that's true, the very moment we accept Christ our Lord and Savior, we realize we're right with God, but then we begin to discover over time that that also means we now have a relationship with one another. That all who have believed in Jesus, we've been brought into one family as brothers and sisters, as literally the household of God. Ephesians 2, 19 says it this way, literally, so then, for those of you who are in Christ, you're no longer strangers and aliens or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are of God's household. We've been adopted into God's family through faith in Christ. Romans 12, verse five says it this way, so we who are many, many different parts, many different members, we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That means if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we know God, but it also means we've been adopted together in the family of God, and we literally are members of one another. We belong to each other, for better or for worse. Like it or not, I realize that some of you look at me on Sundays and think, God, I can't believe that Alabama fan is my brother, but I guess I'll accept it, okay? I realize we may not like everything about each other. I realize we've got some differences along the way. I realize at times that that's a wonderful thing. There are times that we look at the body of Christ and we find such encouragement and help and hope because we see this and we see a sense of warmth and a sense of compassion and a sense of understanding. and, And there's something about that body of Christ that encourages us. But what about 
the difficult times? What about when we see things differently? What about when we don't have the same perspective on something? How do we treat each other then? I'm reminded of the age-old illustration about a teacher one day. Frankly, she had had a really rough morning trying to get to school. Everything could go wrong did. And she gets to the classroom, and she's teaching a young elementary class. And she gets to the classroom, and it continued on there. Everything was just going wrong. She, she asked this class to sit down, but she had one troublesome little boy that kept constantly getting up. And she tried to teach, and she would correct him along the way. And, and then she began to teach. And finally, she looked over. Another little boy had taken his lesson for the day and was making an, a paper airplane and throwing it across the room. And then she looked over at another little boy and said, Johnny, quit throwing your goldfish on the floor and quit stomping on him. And then she looked over at Susie and Susie's eating a crayon. And then she looked over at Tommy and Tommy's doing something with his nose and a pencil that only he knew what was going on. And she had just had enough and she, she threw her hands up and then put her hand down on the desk, just completely exhausted with it all. Finally, the teacher's pet came up and she said, teacher, do you still love us? The honest teacher said, honey, I love y'all. I just don't like y'all right now. You ever been there before? Even in the body of the church, body of the Christ in the church where you say, hey, I know I'm called to love you. I know that God's brought us together, but there are times that we see things so differently and from our backgrounds and our personalities and our preferences, all these things kind of boil up and we might love each other, but maybe we don't like each other so much at times. What do you do then? What is God calling us to do even in the context of a culture where there's so much division, so many things that are, that are charged here and there and everywhere? I believe God calls us in the context of these one another's to do something that is simple and yet absolutely profound that we need to hear today. And that is that God calls us today to accept one another. Romans chapter 15, as we open God's word this morning, I want to speak to you simply on the subject, accept one another. If you're able physically, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're going to read verses 1 through 13 and really hone in on the key verse, verse 7. Here's what the Bible says. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please who? ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of of God. Listen to that verse again. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. But not just for the Jews, the circumcision, verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 9, but also for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, 
Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles and in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the time together. I thank you so much for your word God, would you speak to each of our hearts and lives in the areas and the ways that it's needed today? May we receive it and may we allow it to have its way in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Accepting one another. In this passage of scripture, God tells us a very simple word of instruction in verse seven when he literally says, accept one another. But I'm convinced this morning, if we understand what that is and truly seek to apply that in our life, it will have a profound impact on our life. The word for accept in this passage of scripture literally means the idea of receiving someone. When God says that we are to accept one one another, he's literally describing that we are to receive one another on the basis of relationship. It's the picture of a family member, the picture of a companion, the picture of a close friend that we are to receive that person. I imagine this morning that if you were to go home later this evening and you were to get a knock at the door once the sun is going down and someone were to be there as a complete stranger and they were to say to you, I'm in need, I need a place to stay tonight, can I stay in one of your rooms? I imagine if you don't know that person or have no understanding of who they are, you're probably gonna think twice before you say yes. Would you agree? And at the same time, If another knock at the door came and someone knocked on the door and you opened the door and you found that it was your brother or your sister or a close family member and they were to say to you, I'm passing through town and I need a place to stay tonight. Could I crash in one of your rooms or could I crash in your couch? Because of the basis of relationship, there's a stronger likelihood that you are going to accept them and receive them in. That's kind of the visual image that God has in mind in verse seven when he says, simply Christian, to accept one another. Now this is important for us today because we need to understand the context of this instruction. The Bible says in verse seven, therefore accept one another. I was taught when I was a teenager, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to pause and ask a question. What's this therefore? It's therefore because in Romans chapter 14, something interesting was happening in the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 14, God had saved these individuals. He had brought them into a body of believers at the church in Rome, and they had begun to experience various divisions in the church. Picture the scene for just a moment. There were many Jewish people who had come to faith in Christ. The Jewish people in their culture, they had grown up with the law. They had grown up with an understanding of righteousness. Many of the Jewish people for years had relied upon a form of of law and even of legalism, of a self-righteousness. And when they heard the gospel, they knew they needed to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. So they did, and they were brought into the church. But at the same time at the church in Rome, they didn't consist of only former Jews. They also consisted of Gentiles. The Gentiles did not have the law. 
The Gentiles did not have all the rules and regulations that the Jews had grown up with. The Jews were very focused on various things like their diet. They were focused on various celebrations and days to observe. The Gentiles ate whatever they wanted to. The Gentiles celebrated whatever they wanted to and dismissed whatever. They lived however they wanted to. And yet they heard the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, that he's the only way to heaven. And they repented of their sins and believed in Jesus. So God brought into this one church, these Jews and these Gentiles to function as one body. Picture the scene. They were clearly called to salvation through the gospel. They were clearly saved by the same Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But based upon their backgrounds and based upon their differences, based upon their perspectives, some conflicts arose. Well, what food do we eat? Can we eat meat offered to idols? Or has that been polluted and is it bad? Can we eat meat at all or do we only need to eat vegetables? Do we need to celebrate these specific days and these celebrations or can we not celebrate any at all? And there was all these different areas that could have divided the church. And so Paul writes in Romans chapter 14 and he gets to this simple summary matter in Romans chapter 14 and here's what he says. He says, listen, you believed in Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who saved you. He is your master and every one of you will stand before him and give an account. Go read Romans chapter 14 this week and what you'll find is the apostle Paul is saying this. He's saying, listen, it is not our place or position to judge one another and to look down at one another and to criticize one another. Let each of us live for our master. Let each of us come to our own convictions about honoring him and be faithful in doing them. To be clear, there are many areas in the Bible that we know are wrong because God clearly condemns them. But there are also many areas in the Bible that we know are right because God emphatically commands them. But what do you do with the things in between? What do you do when the Bible doesn't clearly say yay or nay, command or condemn? What do you do with those things? And that's in that moment that the Apostle Paul comes to this summary statement in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. He says this, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. In the body of Christ, understanding that we, based upon our culture, based upon our background, based upon our experiences, we will not see every matter the same exact way. So here's what we do. We pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So here's the question for us today. How can we do that? How in a culture that is so divided, by the way, the church today is not immune to the culture around us. How do we today live in a way that honors God, that represents the unity that we have in Christ in the midst of a world that is so greatly divided? And I wanna suggest to us this morning that one of the ways that we do that is by accepting one another for the glory of God and for the good of one another. How do we do that? Romans chapter 15 answers that question. I want you to see with me this morning four things about accepting one another that we need to hear today. If you're ready, would you say all right? Four things. Number one, I want you to see this morning the demand of accepting others. The demand of accepting others. The fact of the matter is today we all desire acceptance. I would imagine that from the earliest of ages, we desired acceptance. Would you agree? Maybe when you were on the playground and they were picking teams for kickball, you wanted to be accepted. 
When you were trying out for the team or you were trying out for the band, you wanted to be accepted and welcomed in. At the same time, many of us have experienced at some point in our life that challenge instead of acceptance, we got rejection and we understand the hurt and the pain and the challenges that come along with that. God calls us in the body of Christ to accept one another. That's his clear calling. But in order for us to do that, according to scripture, it demands something of us. Largely it demands that we humble ourselves, that we die to self, and that we live our life for the glory of God and for the good of others. Here's how Paul says it in Romans chapter 15, verse two. He says, quote, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. In other words, what the apostle Paul is saying is this, if we are going to accept one another in the body of Christ, here's where it needs to begin. It needs to begin with such a heart for God and such a heart for others that instead of living for myself, I begin to consider how do I live for God and how do I live for others? I realize this morning that goes completely against the voices of our culture. We live in a world that says, you can have it your way. Do what you want to do. What do you like? What do you desire? What do you choose? Just do that. You, after all, are your own boss. You live to make yourself happy is what the world says. Frankly, it feeds right into our own fleshly temptation because all of us in our fleshly temptation, we want to look out for number one. We want to do what we want to do. We want to enjoy what we like. We want to go with our own preference. But when you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, our life is no longer about ourself. It's about him and it's about others. Listen to what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 24, verses 32 through 34. He's talking about the freedom that we have in Christ. He's talking about the liberty that we have in him. But listen to what he says in verses 23 and following. He says, all things are lawful to me. I have freedom in Christ to do these things, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things. I'm not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. Why? So that they may be saved. In other words, what Paul is saying is, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, my life is not about me anymore. It's about God's will, and it's about the good of those around me. And maybe another way to say that is this. When the moment comes that we are more concerned about our rights in the body of Christ than we are our responsibility to others in the body of Christ, we are destined for conflict because we have made ourselves more important than others. This demand for acceptance demands that we die to self. And then we let Christ rule and reign and live through us. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 3. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ. That word crucified not only describes a death, it describes a very vivid image of that. I am crucified who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying this, it's not about me. 
Today, the life I live, I live through and for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his glory and for the good of others around me. Every now and then, I will hear a Christian say, but I have the right to, you fill in the blank. I I, I know Christ, so I have the right to do whatever. And largely what they're saying is, I have the right to do what I want to do. But I want to remind you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, our life is dyed with Christ. It's hidden with him. And the new man that we are, the new woman that we are today is to be lived through and for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his glory and the good of his church. Warren Wiersbe says it well, a spiritually mature believer is willing to give up his rights that others might be helped. He does this not as a burden, but as a blessing. So the demand of acceptance is hard, isn't it? It begins by dying to self so that my life might be lived for the glory of God and the good of others. But there's a second truth that I think is so important for us this morning, and that is this. There's what I want us to see in the dependence of acceptance. The dependence of accepting others. The fact of the matter is, if we're going to accept each other like we ought to, it means that we've got to depend upon something and someone. Because frankly, I can't accept others like God calls me to by my own strength. I can't wish it. I can't positively think about it enough. I can't just make it happen with anything within me. I am completely and utterly, totally dependent on the Lord and on his word. Notice what the Bible says in verse four. It's on the basis of this call to accept others and to live to please others and to strive to build up others, not living for myself, that God tells us something interesting in verse four. For whatever was written, speaking of God's word, was written in earlier times and it was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Can I, can I just say to all of us this morning, there is no shortcut to living a life that glorifies and honors God apart from his word. God has given us his word so that you and I might know him and might grow in him and reflect him to the world around us. Verse four, the Bible tells us four personal benefits of God's word in our life. They are that God's word gives us instruction. God's word brings about perseverance. God's word gives us encouragement. Amen, little guys. And God's word gives us hope, right? God's word does all these things in our life. And so the question is, how can we accept one another? How can we live in peace with one another? How can we love one another? How can we serve one another? How can we forgive one another? How can we accept one another from different backgrounds, different perspectives, differences of opinion? How can that happen? It can only happen as we are in God's word and God's word is in us. I was asked earlier this week as I was speaking with a pastor who frankly is dealing with some major areas of struggle and division in the congregation that he serves. And he called and we were talking and I tried to be an encouragement to him and he was sharing some of the things that were going on in the church and he shared with me, he said, my most frustrating thing in this whole thing is this. There are some who've been in church for years that I simply expected more of. To which I asked him, I said, buddy, you need to go to each of them and lovingly ask them, How is their walk with God? How's their time in the word? 
Because here's the reality. I can't love you the way that God calls me to love you if I'm not in God's word and God's word's not in me. I can't serve you the way that I'm called to serve you if I'm not in God's word and God's word's not in me. I can't extend grace and comfort and encouragement and edification. I can't put your needs before my own if I'm not in God's word and God's word's not in me. The Bible says God's word gives instruction. The word here, instruction, is translated in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, is that God's word is profitable for teaching. Anybody need instruction in life today? The businessman needing instruction on the decision that he needs to make? The college student needing instruction about what to do after they graduate? The young man or young woman needing instruction about who they're going to marry? What career they're going to pursue? Need instruction? Where do you get it? You get it by getting in God's word and letting God's word get in you. Need perseverance today? Are you overwhelmed with life's trials? Are you overwhelmed with the struggles of life right now? It seems like everything's pressing against you and everything within you is wanting to just throw in the towel and give up. You're just so fed up with it, but, but, but you need to persevere. How do you have persevere? You get in God's word and let God's word get in you. Go study the lives of men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 who in the midst of incredible circumstances, they were able to look to God. They were able to live according to the promises of God. They were able to trust God and God brought them through. You want to persevere? Here's what you do. Get in God's word and let God's word get in you. Anybody need encouragement this morning? Life's hard, ain't it? Need encouragement this morning? Every time you turn on the news, you find yourself all the more discouraged? Need encouragement this morning? Living in fear and panic and all these different anxieties of the world? Need encouragement? Here's what you do. You get in God's word and let God's word get in you. Anybody need hope today? Where do you go? You go to God's word. When you and I depend upon God and his word, God brings all these things in our life personally. But I wanna remind you that this dependence on God's word is not about only what God does in us personally. As we depend upon God's word, God also does something within us, what I'll call corporately, amongst one another. See, this instruction and this perseverance, this encouragement, this is hope, this is what God does in my life, what God does in your life when we get serious about our relationship with God and serious about his word and really let God's word get in our life. But when God's word is truly our guide, it also impacts and influences our relationship with one another. Notice what the scripture says in verse five. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, like he just told us about, may he grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God tells us here two things that happen when we individually and as a body truly depend upon the word of God. The first is that God allows us to have the same mind. The same mind. Notice what the scripture says in verse five. God gives perseverance and encouragement. May he grant to you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Now stop there for just a moment. Many people hear that phrase and here's what they hear. This means that the pastor's saying, if we truly love God and get in his word, we're gonna have the same mind about everything. Can I just say to you, this side of heaven, that's not ever gonna happen, okay? And we can illustrate that in some funny ways. For example, I could ask you this morning, how many Alabama football fans do we have here this morning? My family and I, God bless you, thank you. <laughs> Two of my children own me, the other one didn't, and... My wife needs to repent. Anyway, okay, like, 
we are a divided household, right? In the context of a football team, we don't see it the same way. But here's the deal. It's a secondary, external, non-eternal matter. That's why she can cheer for Tennessee. Anyway, like, we're not gonna see it the same way. Let me ask you about, about Josh Joe Hands. What kind of food do you like, okay? You know, many of us here today, we know Christ our Lord and Savior. We've been born again, we're saved. So let me ask you, how many of you would say your favorite food is Italian food? You love the pastas and the deep, rich marinara sauces and the garlic bread and the pizza. How many would say you love Italian food? Anybody? All right, very good. How, you can put your hands down. How many of you would say, oh man, not me. I love Mexican food. I love burritos and tacos and tortilla chips and the salsa and the guacamole, hallelujah. How many of you would say that's what you like? All right, there's some of you here. How many of you would say, man, not me, man, I love like Asian food. I love sushi and I love hibachi chicken and shrimp. I love some yum yum sauce. Like that is my favorite food. Anybody like that? Very good. And how many of you sanctified and holy people would say, not me, man, I like fried chicken, cornbread, fried okra, squash, banana pudding, anybody like that? And how many of you still waiting for your food to be called, okay? <laughs> In other words, we're not of the same mind about that. So pastor, which is yours? I like it all, man. I love all food. Got a little problem. All right. We don't have the same mind there, but it's a secondary non-eternal matter. Here's the challenge. The challenge in Romans chapter 14 is this. They believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They confessed Christ. They were saved, brought into one family, but based upon their diet, based upon their celebration of certain days, based upon whether or not they should be circumcised or not, all these things were entering as secondary matters that were bringing about division in the church. They were external, secondary matters. But notice the scripture didn't say to have the same mind. It says specifically in Romans chapter 15, to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. See, the problem in that church was this. As they looked at each other and these different perspectives from these different backgrounds and these different situations, what in essence began to happen is this. One group thought they were right, and the other group thought that they were right. As a result, one group began to judge the other. The one group began to judge the other. They began to look down upon. They began to demonize. They began to be judgmental about. And it brought incredible division in the body. So, Pastor, what's the point? I mean, that would never happen today, right? The fact of the matter is, is that the enemy is still the thief who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy he sought to bring division throughout every, just about every church you can read of in the New Testament. You will find over and over again, he tried to divide and it was usually on secondary matters that were not eternal. Church of Corinth. People are so upset with each other, they began suing each other and taking each other to court. The church of Galatia had so much division and then Paul had to write to them and say, don't bite and devour one another. The church of Colossae and Ephesus at times had such division that Paul had to say, don't forget unity. You gotta be unified. You gotta be unified in Christ Jesus. In Philippi, there were two ladies in the church that were so divided that they began to bring people on their sides and it caused a rift in the body. See, in our human nature, we are so quick to look down upon and judge and criticize. And what Paul says in Romans chapter 14 is this, we all have one master and one judge that we will give an account to in the context of the body of Christ. So you be faithful to live according to your convictions and honor God in what you do. 
Let, let me illustrate that a little bit further, being of the same mind according to Christ Jesus. How quickly we can be divided on it. For example, if I were to say to you a truth that when I pastored in Christiansburg for 13 years, every fall season, I think every fall season for 13 years, we had an event in the fall time that allowed three to 600 families to come into our facility. We built relationships with them. We served them. We shared the gospel. Every single person that came into the building heard the gospel, somewhere between 900 and 2,500 people every single fall. It was our single largest outreach ministry of the entire fall. We saw tons of people come to know faith in Christ. We saw families be restored that were broken. We saw many families come to the church as a result of it. God used it in an amazing way. And if I were to tell you that, nearly every Christian I know would say, man, that is awesome. Praise God, the gospel is being shared. Praise God for how God's working and moving. But then if I were to tell you, that's right. We did that every Halloween. And the event involved costumes and candy and the whole nine yards and was amazing. There are many of us that would say, so what's the big deal? What's the problem? But there's also many of us that would say, but Halloween is not a Christian holiday. In fact, its history and its origin is incredibly dark and demonic. How could you do that? And I could take the Bible and I could talk about how it's God who gives every day and that every day should be lived for the glory of God. I could talk to you about our calling as Christians is to shine a light in the midst of a dark world. And what better time to shine a light than when the darkness of the world is evident all around us. I could talk about all those different things, but the fact of the matter is we won't all necessarily still see it the same way. So, what does the Bible say? The Bible says we have the same mind according to Christ Jesus. Let me illustrate that a little bit further. I have asked two college students, two of our college students here at Crossling, to help me with an illustration. So I'm going to ask them to join me here on the stage um, if they can. So uh, I'll introduce them here real quick. But can you just give them a warm welcome as they help me this morning? All right, so I'm so thankful for them. I realize most of us probably do not know uh, these students, but these are wonderful, gracious students who have uh, been willing at the last minute to help me this morning. So uh, tell us real quick your name and tell us where you're from. Um, I'm Lucinda and I'm from Northern Virginia. So this is Lucinda from Northern Virginia. And what year are you in school? I'm a senior. She's a senior, so y'all pray for her, okay? And encourage her along the way. It's awesome, okay? Very good. And what is your name? My name's Cole and I'm from Roanoke. He's Cole, he's from Roanoke. And what year are you in school? Junior, so he's, he's, he's got a little bit longer to go. You're going to pray for him extra, okay? So uh, that's cool. All right, Cole, would you go ahead and hand something to her? Now, I realize it's about to get really uncomfortable in here, okay? You probably did not expect to get offended when you came here today, but, but you're, you're going to hopefully might get a little uncomfortable. I, I want to ask you a question today. In the midst of a world and a culture that is so greatly divided about just about everything, Vaccine or no vaccine, mask or no mask, government mandate or not. What are we doing here? What are we doing there? A culture that's so divided. I want to ask you a question. When you look over here at Lucinda, don't answer out loud. What do you see? Or more importantly, when you see the sign or the T-shirt or the bumper sticker, what do you see about the person behind it? All right, and I'll flip over here for just a second. When you see 
the sign, the banner, the t-shirt over here. How do you view the person behind it? See, the fact of the matter is it's easy for us, for all of human nature, and Christians are not excluded, it's easy for us to look and to have judgments upon people and perceptions upon people just because of the exterior. There are some that would look and say, well, I see a God-fearing American right there. I see a Second Amendment supporter. That's what I see. I see a Christian. But there are also others including Christians, who'd say, I see a racist. I, I see a proud, arrogant jerk. I, I see someone who doesn't care about immigrants. That's what I see. And somebody over here would say, well, you know, I see a kind Older man with empathy. I see a man who served our country for 50 years. He seems compassionate. It's good. But others would say, I, I, I see an abortionist. I, I see someone who professes religion, but there's little evidence of it. I, I see someone controlled by an evil agenda and party. Here's the question I'll... I think we need to be asking. See, see, the first question is, what do you see? That's kind of setting us up a little bit. Here's the bigger question. When Jesus looks at the person behind the sign, what does he see? When God looks at the person behind the bumper sticker or the t-shirt or the sign, what does God see? And when God looks at this person over here, what does God see? which then brings about the more personal question. As a follower of Christ, what should I see? As a follower of Christ, what should I see? Because is it not true that God is looking at the heart of man, that God is concerned about the soul of man? God is more concerned about whether that person knows him as in a relationship with him. He's not as concerned about the sign in the yard. He's not as concerned about the t-shirt. He's not as concerned about the bumper sticker or the banner. He's concerned about their eternal destination. But, but for so many of us in our human nature and even in the church, we are so content to get caught up on all the externals when God is concerned about the eternals. Please understand, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk politics. I'm not saying that these things aren't important. I'm not saying that, 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 that this one is biblical and this one is not, this one is Christian, this is not. Here's what I'm saying. I am saying that God is more concerned about the soul of man. And as a result of that, if this supporter is my sister in Christ, guess what? As my sister in Christ, I need to love her and I need to accept her. I need to seek to serve her, encourage her, and build her up in the body of Christ. If, if this person here behind this sign professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and is a child of God, guess what? As my brother in Christ, it is my calling to love him, to pray for him, to encourage him, and to build him up in the body of Christ. But what then if they don't know Jesus? All the more. That's the reason we love them. We share within the gospel. We build a relationship with them to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter which side of the aisle they're on. It's not a matter of this political party or not. It's a matter of honoring God and focusing on the things that matter for eternity. 
church. We cannot be divided by all the rhetoric of the culture and all the chaos of the day that's a direct tool of the enemy. Instead, may we begin to have eyes to see and a heart to feel and to love and to care and to serve and to care for people as Jesus himself has done. Can we give them a hand and welcome them? Thank you. Thank you, Lucinda. Thank you. I, 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 so, so, somebody says, so, so, so what are you saying politically? Listen, here, here's what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with talking politics. People ask me recently, so how do you vote? Here, here's what I personally do. Get beyond the personalities. Get beyond the rhetoric. Take that party, take that platform one at a time and examine them according to Scripture. And whichever seems to be most biblical and God-honoring and consistent with your biblical worldview and convictions, go that direction. But even still, we're not gonna see that the same. Nor do we have to. Why are we allowing ourselves to get divided in all these temporary, secondary, external things when it boils down to it's about the eternal soul of man and God has given us a calling to love one another in the body of Christ and to those outside the body of Christ to love them where they're at enough to go and to speak the truth of the gospel. Please let me say this loud and clear. If our world and the people around you know more about your political stance than they do that you stand with Jesus, something's wrong. God says, as we depend upon his word and accept one another in Christ, we will have the same mind according to Christ Jesus. Not only we have the same mind, I think we'll see clearly, we also have the same motivation. What does he tell us in this verse? I love this statement. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this illustration, there's two sides and two radically different directions and views. But does that mean, as a follower of Christ, that I don't have family on both sides of the aisle? I've got brothers and sisters on both sides. You know what my calling is to do? It's to love them, to accept them. I'm concerned for them, maybe to admonish them if there's a concern there biblically. Beyond that, God tells us, here's the motivation. We, we are so motivated right now about being right and proving our point and proving the other wrong. Here's what God says the motivation is. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our goal is to be united in Christ so that with one voice and of one accord, we can give Jesus alone the praise and adoration that he alone deserves. That's our motivation, is to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And by the way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 reminds us that when we, with one voice in the body of Christ, when we're unified according to Christ Jesus, when we are being a bright light to the world around us, that even the lost, when they see our love for one another, when they see our unity in Christ, that they, in the day of visitation, they too will glorify God. He gets all the glory Third, and I'm gonna close quickly, I want you to see the demonstration of accepting others. The demonstration of accepting others. Verse seven, therefore accept one another 
Notice the demonstration. How do we accept one another? Where do we get this idea? Verse 7, just as Christ also accepted who? Us to the glory of God. Can I just say to you this morning, one of the wonderful truths, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ didn't come for the select few. He came for all. Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth and gave his life on the cross, he didn't come for the the white American. He didn't come for this specific group. He didn't come for that group based upon economic status. He didn't come for those who were wealthy. He didn't come necessarily just for those. He came for all. The reason I can stand and preach the gospel and say God desires and not anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance is because God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came for all. There is not a single person on the face of this planet that you could not openly and honestly say to them, God loves you. Jesus made a way for you to be saved. Why? Because he made a way for all of us to be accepted. And on the basis of Christ's acceptance of us, he now looks at us and says, and accept one another. Accept one another. In other words, when you came to Christ, God didn't say, well, to come to Christ, you've got to look a certain way. Bless God, to come to Christ, you've got to vote a certain way. To come to Christ, you've got to have a certain nationality or background. You've got to have a certain economic status. You've got to have a certain measure of morality in your life. No. When we came to God through Christ, we came broken, we came empty, we came dead in our trespasses and sin. The only thing we brought was a response of faith. And God accepted us in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us in John chapter 6, verse 37 through 38, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I certainly, emphatically will not cast out For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. How do we experience this acceptance from God? We experience it in John chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Can I say to you this morning, you you may never have experienced love and acceptance in your life. But I'm telling you this morning, by the authority of God's word and by the gift of salvation that God offers, when Jesus came and died on the cross for the sins of the world, he died for yours. He rose again, and today he offers salvation and eternal life to you. Regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what's been done against you, Jesus looks at us permanently through the cross and says, I accept you. The question for each of us is simply this, have we accepted him? And for all who do, we should accept one another. John Murray said it best. If Christ has received us, are we then to refuse fellowship to those whom Christ has received? If we place restraints upon our acceptance of believers, we are violating the very example of that redemptive action upon which all fellowship in the church rests. Christ's reception of all without distinction is the ground upon which fellowship is to be unrestrained. The final point I want you to see is this. It's the delight of accepting others. So what happens in the world? What happens in the church? 
when even in the midst of all the distractions and all the challenges and all the divisions in the world, what happens in the body of Christ when we focus our life on living for the glory of God and the good of others? What happens when we begin to treat each other with an eternal perspective and not an external perspective? What happens when we truly begin to love one another, even when we're unlovable, even when we see things differently, even when we have different perspectives? What happens? Verse 13 tells us the answer. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a little word here that's easy to miss the meaning because of the way it's translated from Greek into English, but it's the word you. When the Bible says, now may the God of hope fill you, the word you there is plural. It means in the Southern slang, y'all. I, I, I might say to my wife, hey, I, I wanna talk to you later, but I might look at my family and say to them as well, I want to talk to you later. And both uses of the word, one of them personally, and the other is in the context of a larger group. When Paul literally says, now may the God of hope fill you, he's saying, as you accept one another in the body of Christ, as you love one another in the body of Christ, as you receive one another, even as Christ has received you, as you do that, the God of hope will fill y'all with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What he is saying is this, there is great delight, there is joy, there is hope, there is peace amongst us together as the corporate body of Christ when we accept one another in faith. So here's my question, and we'll close. What today, for those of you who know Christ as Lord and Savior, what today is preventing you from truly accepting one another in the body of Christ? What discomforts, what challenges, what hindrances, what areas of maybe even prejudice or bias, what obstacles are preventing you from accepting one another in the body of Christ? If you're here today and you don't know Christ your Lord and Savior, I would ask you kind of the first question. That first question is this. What is preventing you from accepting Jesus as your Lord? Jesus came and he made a way for you, for me, for all of us to be saved without any distinction at all. All of us can be saved. What's preventing you from accepting him? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have together. Thank you for the ways that you're speaking to our hearts and lives. Lord, I realize today that a large part of this message gets uncomfortable. It gets uncomfortable. We live in a culture, in a world that is so greatly divided and even within our own hearts and lives, there's that, there's that pressure and that tension that's there. But God, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you. I pray, God, that you would help us as we get in your word to see things as you see things. Help us to be more concerned about the heart and soul of man than we do the sign in their yard. And God, I pray for your glory that you would help us to be your hands and feet to love people well. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. 
If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.